Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, my guest today is coming from Germany and is celebrating an anniversary. Matthias, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, with pleasure. Hi, my name is Matthias Lösel. Thank you much. Thank you very much for the congratulations. Uh, it's not only me who's celebrating uh, the anniversary. I'm, I'm here as uh, as a guest or as a as one of the acting characters behind the Heritage Post, with which is uh, a magazine coming from Germany, print magazine that's been existing for for ten years now. So it's our tenth anniversary now, and we just released the fortieth edition of our of a funny little magazine. <laughs> it's. It's not really just a funny little magazine, though, because it's a pretty substantial quarterly piece. Thank you. Well, that's, a, that's very kind, Nick. Thank you very much. Yes, we've uh, we've started almost basically uh, our, our publisher and, uh, and and the big boss Uwe van Afferden, who started the magazine some some ten years ago, and it kind of started very in, in very small proportions, very small dimensions, with with an edition I think of two thousand copies for the first issue uh, in 2012 I think and now yes it has become quite big so it's 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 being read and it's being sold and bought almost around the world but well but we're, we're still considering it to be small because it's still handmade and made with a lot made with a lot of love and with a lot of affection and uh, uh, yes so uh, maybe in our minds in our heads it's uh, it's still small <laughs> when it isn't at the same time yeah so small and small. What is the circulation like these days? It, it's uh, how, where are we now? I think it's between sixty and eighty thousand uh, copies per per issue. So it's for this kind of magazine, it's quite big, and it's actually like really sold copies, not like like free copies, like free giveaway copies that you put on airplanes or hotels. So it's like really people really buying these this this, this magazine. So we're we're, we're quite happy and quite proud of this yeah and actually sending it out not just in germany but uh almost everywhere the... almost everywhere it's uh in in europe it's basically almost everywhere france england austria that's very very strong let's say fan base or readership but also in in japan uh as we all know japanese are always crazy about fashion and about uh but great photos great detail great uh handcraft and stuff also in America, um, well, like I said, almost almost everywhere. I don't know if it's been sold in Australia already, but we, <laughs> we might challenge that uh, one day. It's quite an interesting irony that you're sending unreadable magazines to Japan and they're <laughs> sending them out into the world. <laughs> well, you know, they're doing the same, actually. I've been yeah. a subscriber of Clutch Magazine for for years now and i can't read a single word because it's all in japanese but i just love the design and i love the the photos and the stuff that they're putting in there uh <laughs> i have no clue what, what what they're writing but i'm still so it's kind of like a it's, it's the german revenge to the japanese <laughs> no <laughs> but you you're aware of the fact that we 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 had an english edition of the heritage post starting i think from um from edition number 15 some some years ago and we kind of had to stop that because of because of corona you know when you're doing a magazine like this which is like i said it's really handmade so you can think of our uh, chief editor uh, stephanie kobayashi like really putting uh, copy after copy into envelopes and sending them out to the world 
it's 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 really a tough business when you're being locked down uh, through Corona. So when uh, when we were sending out the, the the copies to to airports and train stations all around the world, some of them had been in complete lockdown. So it just made no sense for us to 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 print English copies to release English copies anymore. But the good news is we will be returning to that. So with our anniversary edition this year in December 2021. With, uh, with issue number 40, we have released uh, an, an English e-paper edition that's coming for free that you can access on uh, epaper.theheritagepost.com, which is free for everybody. And we might do this also with the next issue and so that, that everyone around the world can access it and read it in English, all those great articles that we have in there. And from, from the edition after that, we might return, it's not quite sure, but we might return to a print copy, to a physical copy back then, because that's what our readers actually really love. Now, we're about five minutes into the podcast now, and I'm thinking, anyone listening to this who doesn't know what the Heritage Post is may be losing interest or wandering very much. Yes. Can we talk a bit about that? What was Uwe's big idea when he started the magazine 10 years ago? Okay. Um, let me let me disc- let me answer this from a very personal uh, uh, position or from a, from my personal background because I haven't been there since day one, but almost since day one. So I joined the Heritage Post, I think, with the third or fourth edition back in t- 2012. So I discovered it because I I come from I come from a place in the deep west of Germany, very let's say the Rust Belt of Germany a very poor, working-class, tough and rough area. And I was kind of socialized. I grew up in an environment with a lot of subculture around me. There, were, there was always, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a strong scene of mods, uh, root boys, scooter boys, skinheads, punks, gothics, new waves, psychobillies, rockabillies. It was a huge scene because the region where I come from is, is like 30 cities, like, next to each other. It's Cologne, Dusseldorf, Duisburg, Dortmund, Wuppertal, whatever. And when you're kind of growing out of these scenes, when you're becoming, when you're turning 30, 35, 40, or as I'm now 47, you kind of feel like, okay, what happens to those people who were once socialized and um, born and bred and raised in this subculture? And one day in 2012, I passed by my my favorite bookshop in, in Munich, where I live now, and I, and I saw the first copy of the Heritage Post and it attracted me and it grabbed my attention immediately just by the cover because it was hand painted and there were no headlines on it. It just said the Heritage Post, magazine for gentleman culture. And I picked it up and I flipped through it. And I said, okay, all my life I've been waiting for this kind of magazine. <laughs> it's everything I ever asked for in a magazine. It doesn't want to sell me shit that I don't need. There's no headlines on it like buy the new car, buy the new pants, buy the new trousers or get the new hairstyle or whatever. There was just nothing on it. And I, besides, I immediately realized that it draw, drew its inspiration from the Saturday Evening Post, which was a newspaper or a weekly magazine that appeared in, uh, in America, in New York, from the early 19th century until, I think, 1969. And so... I kind of immediately realized that this pays homage to this old fantastic newspaper that was also hand-painted, had this great lettering, had great photos, great design, and no headlines. It it was just a statement that I 
that I initially, initially, initially liked. So uh, I bought the magazine and I, I wrote to uh, Uwe van Averden and Stefanie Kobayashi, who were the publishers and who, who were the inventors and the founders of the Heritage Post. And they said to me, well, it's great that you liked our magazine. Uh, uh, we don't know if there ever will be a second edition. Uh, it's, it's a very small run of, let's say, 2,000, 3,000 copies. But we think that there is a scene of people in Germany or maybe in Europe who, who, who will feel the same way as you do, who like to hear stories and to see pictures of great handmade denim pants, of great handmade leather boots, or great handmade cars, or great handmade music, whatever, and who doesn't try to sell fashion, but who tries to sell craft, to, to sell uh, handcrafted artwork and to tell stories about the people behind it. And that initially um, appealed to me. Um, so I said, well, your magazine is great, but the music section, that's really not working. <laughs> there's, there's somebody there who doesn't know a clue about great music. So I was very much into music back then, uh, listening to all, like, I don't know, 50s rock and roll, 60s ska and rock steady and Northern Soul and early 70s rock kind of stuff. And they said, okay, you're a big mouth, uh, then write something. <laughs> if you want to, you can write an article about it. And the rest is history. So I became a writer and editor for them since... Well, like I said, like since 2012, and I've written about let's say 100 or 120 articles since for for Stefanie and Uwe, and we kind of became partners in crime or or a team, and uh, I think none of us ever thought that the Heritage Post will be existing for 10 years now, and the future is looking brighter than ever. So there's uh, there's a big big readership, fan base who basically loves the stuff that we love. Uh, great clothes, great, great craftsmanship, um, great characters behind those products uh, who are convinced by the quality. And I, I, I would even say that there's an, a kind of idealistic or even ideological background to, behind all this. We, we all come from the people who work for the Heritage Post. They, they all have a background either in advertising or in media industries or film production or whatever. And we were all kind of fed up by the consumer culture who says, buy more, you need more. Uh, there has to be growth. There has to be progress. There has to be more of everything. We said, no, it, it's kind of like, a, a, I wouldn't say counterculture, but it, it's, we, we've been trying to, to make people understand that if you buy less and pay more, that could be, that could be the, the greatest statement or the most important political statement that you can do these days. We're all pissed off by, by Primark and H&M and CNA and all that stuff. So what you can do, every single one of us, every single consumer can decide at the cash register uh, whether to buy cheap stuff that the big chains want you to consume and want you to buy or buy the good stuff that will last for for ages or for a lifetime uh, i know that's been a very long answer to, to to your question but just to give just to give you an example what 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 this what this meant for me personally when i was a young guy and i moved to munich which is a very very expensive city in the south of germany 
back in 1995, I had almost no money. The money that I earned from my internship was like, I think, 800 Deutschmarks a month, which sounds like a lot, but it isn't. That's basically what you spend for your rent in a city like Munich. So I, had, I could decide, am I going to buy, buy five or four pairs of shoes a year, which are all which will all be ruined after three months because they will look shit and they were, they were, they were made by, by kids in Indonesia or whatever. Or am I going to buy one pair of red wings that I just saw in a shop, which is one of the two shops existing at the time in Germany who sold red wings. They, they cost a fortune, but to tell you what, I still have them until today. 27 years ago, I bought my first pair of red wings and they still, they, they're still perfect. I had them, resold for the third time now and they, they they i still have them and i can still carry them and wear them so that's kind of the spirit behind the heritage post <laughs> very long answer sorry <laughs> okay i was wondering uh, when you passed that bookshop window were you a part of any subculture then or were you sort of seeking an adult subculture to to join in precisely precisely that's that that was the situation i was in I had grown. I was I was very much involved with with the mod scene and the the, the scooter boy and root boy scene in in, in Germany and uh, in the town where I was born, as well as the town that I moved to, Munich. Munich also had a very strong scene back in the nineties, and I kind of grew a bit tired of not of the music but of the scene because when you when you are in those scenes, they they are very limited. They are very restricted. They are almost religious about their clothes and about their the haircut and their appearance and about every single detail. And that kind of became annoying to me. I felt that there was something else. I, I felt like okay, I, I can't listen to Northern Soul and Scar all day. I want to listen to country music. I want to listen to rock music, even if it's. Uh, forbidden in the in scene where, 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 I was, where I was raised. So um, I started actually to, 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 to finance my studies in Munich. I started DJing and I became very much involved with, with, uh, with future jazz, with, with easy listening, with electronic music. And that kind of changed my whole perspective towards subculture. And then I discovered, I discovered early rock and roll from the 1940s and 1950s. And I felt, okay, um, that kind of music that influences me so much doesn't go along with my with the way how I dress. And when you're becoming older, and you, you, you start, we're all aware of that, you're starting to lose your hair, and you're starting to become a bit, well, let's say out of shape. So you're trying to adapt. And with, 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 this, with the moment of discovering the Heritage Post, it was like, okay, I discovered that I'm not the only one out there who, who was born and raised in one or another subculture and who still understands them and has a lot of affection for, for them, but um, who wants to blend in with your own individual style. And that's something that's, that's always been very important to, to Uwe van Afferden, the, the, the publisher and the, the inventor, the founder of the Heritage Post. He did not want to create another subculture with the Heritage Post. He didn't want to create another role model that says you have to dress like this and then you're that kind of subculture or this and that he wanted to he wanted to motivate men to to find and invent their own individual style and that's something that's that's very appealing that's something that i totally like um, not to create conformity but to create individuality that's something that we definitely need those days i think 
and which is actually the, the original idea b behind the first subcultures where they came from in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. That was young men wanting to be different than the rest, wanting to be different than their parents and their elders and their fathers and their older brothers. And so this, I, I, I'm, I think I've, people find this idea of subculture behind the heritage post. So basically it's, like I said, it's, it's individuality instead of conformity. And uh, that's also, that also applies to one section that we have in our, um, in our magazine that's become very, very popular with the readers. That's uh, the section, sections called the rugged guys. So from the first edition onwards, we had five men in every issue that, that, that were portrayed not because they had the style that I had or the style that Uwe had or the style that um, some certain subculture had, but they were in there and they were featured by us because they had found their true individual style. Blending in with different styles from different subcultures, mixing them and creating something new. That's something that's, uh, that, 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 that matters to us. Yeah, uh, my, my original question was going to be sort of, has the Heritage Post tapped into a subculture or created one? Or, But you sort of actually answered that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, the Rugged Guys, you're right. That is probably my favorite part of the magazine, um, just seeing all the, the strange and unusual and special guys you find. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm not sure, though, over time, though, whether all of them are as individual, because I think over time they have, there has become a sort of rugged guy style, I think. Yeah. That's that's true. And that's something, it's like the, 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 the ghost we created, or I don't know, it's been there before. It's not a style that the Heritage Post or we have invented. Just like you, just like you said before, there, there, there has always been a strong heritage or vintage scene in Europe. It's not us. Who created that? that those were the people were there before, and it and um, it's it, it's a scene that I deeply um, admire because it's so diverse. You have the I don't know the 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 nineteen twenties reenactment World War One World War Two groups from from England or from Holland or from France. You have the rockabilly scene, the psychabilly scene, the scooter scene, the the hot rod scene, whatever, and they created or they they, they cultivated their own style. What, what you're what you're referring to is of course something that is a style that that has reappeared over the years it's like you put on your iron rangers from red wings you put on your japanese denim you put on your uh i don't know uh, u.s army dock jacket or tanker jacket and you put on your uh, your messenger cap and that's the style and you put on i don't know uh, uh, a lumberjack shirt like i'm wearing right now <laughs> and that's it that's the style and um, then you're a heritage boy or guy or whatever. But it's still, uh, it's, it's nice because, of, because you understand that the people who wear th these kind of clothes develop a sense for, for, for quality. And they obviously paid a lot of money for this. And they know that, that it's, 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 it's worth the price. The, the product that they're buying is worth the higher price instead of buying, like I said, a cheap Primark or H&M or whatever pair of jeans. But then again, when you're, when, you, when you're starting with this style, please feel free to develop it further and to, to, to make it your own style. I think what the Heritage Post tries to, tries to say is not 
don't don't copy something that you're not familiar with or that you're not just or that you're not comfortable with because you're you you end up being dressed like a doll or like a mannequin uh, that's that's not that's not something that we would want to promote so we're just trying to make um, we're just trying to offer great products the, the huge variety of great products that that are out there in the world that are made by by individualists for individualists and trying to motivate people to find their own style if you if you end up being dressed like the, the prototype that I just described it doesn't matter it's it, it's still great it's still a great look uh, by the way it's it's very much my my, my own look basically most of the time <laughs> but then again then again uh, have have the nerve and have the, the 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 braveness and the curiosity to find your own style and to develop it further and to become your own well to to become your own master of individuality it is tricky though i've heard tell a few times about um, subcultures in japan where they almost require the rule book and the checklist so that they can get the subcultural style correct and uh, in order and it is a danger when you are in the sort of heritage authentic fashion type thing with the red wings and the japanese jeans and that it is a checklist and yes. approved style so well that, that, that's that's definitely true um i've been very fascinated with with uh, japanese with the Japanese understanding of subculture, and uh, our our editor in chief Stephanie Kobayashi has Japanese roots, so so she knows a lot about this. And we've exchanged some great books. There's one great book that I can highly recommend. It's called Ametora in in Japanese, which is like the standard book that you're probably aware of, which des describes the, the 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 huge fascination of the the past World War II youth with American. Clothing with preppy culture, with Ivy League culture, with with uh, uh, with military culture, with military dressing, and that the brands like like Ironheart or um, um, Clutch Cafe or Real McCoys, they're 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 recreating this kind of style to 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 an extent and to a level that's almost unbelievable. The the, the detail and the quality is 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 out of this world almost. But at the same time, I think just. Just wearing it for the sake of wearing it and being a part of a subculture for me that just wouldn't be enough. I, I would miss, I don't know, I would miss without without judging Japanese subculture, but I would miss the authenticity behind it. So if it's just a checklist that you have to tick, um, I don't know where, where that leaves you with. But having said that, I know that individuality. In Japan, is has a completely different um, importance than over here in Europe. I think so. The, 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 the culture is so different, and I mean it in, in a very, very neutral and objective kind of way. It's so different that probably people want to belong to a certain subculture a lot more uh, because individuality doesn't matter so much to them as they do, well, at least to to me or to us. But that's of course just just guessing. Um, you you asked where where having a checklist would leave you. I think with a profound sense of security, knowing that you were present and correct, no one would uh, tell you that you were wearing the wrong shirt or the wrong shoes, or which is a risk for men of a certain age dressing up, going out. 
We can be called out at any moment. Some stranger will say, ahoy there, your hat is incorrect. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's very well said. Exactly, yes. It gives you a kind of security, um, the sense of belonging, which is which I can understand. But as because I had that too at a certain time when I was young, I wanted to belong to a certain tribe or to a certain group. But when you're becoming older, I'm not that old, <laughs> I'm 47, um, it kind of becomes in a way, well, ridiculous to just dress like someone so you belong there i had that and i'm and i'm past it so there's one thing that strikes me when i'm reading the heritage post and this may sound really strange for you being a german in germany but i'm very attuned to the british scene the japanese scene the american scene but the sort of european and german scene is quite invisible to me until I start reading the Heritage Post and I see, oh, you've got your own brands. You've got cool shops I've never heard about. Uh, you've even got rugged guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it seems like there's a sort of um, bubble in Europe. There, there is. There is. Um, that's a very it's, – it's, it's a great issue that you're touching and it's very, very complicated and complex to, to answer that. Like I said before, I, I don't think there is the German or the European heritage scene. It's a it's a blend. It's a mixture of different scenes, and every single scene and some of them are incredibly small. I, I'd say it's it's, it's a dozen. It's a, it's a dozen people all over Europe in some in some in some parts, but they're all they're all bringing in their own their own um, their own certain touches and ideas and and. Uh, uh, Inventions. So, for example, the, 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 there is a hot rod scene in in Germany. There is there is a scooter scene in Germany. Not like like in UK, where, where the scooter scene has always been huge due to the, the mod and scooter boy heritage. Um, then, like I said, there there's there there are some I would say like reenactment or what's the word uh, even cross dressing scenes like from 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 France or from from UK who who are like reenacting reenacting certain eras of the second world war dressing up or dressing up in berlin style 20, 1920s clothes and it's all great and there's there's never been one place to go for them so if we are attracting with the heritage post all these different tribes then that's the greatest thing that we can ever achieve um if the heritage post is something that all those different subcultures and all those different heritage and vintage cultures can agree on, then we've then we've achieved a lot, and we deeply we deeply love all those different scenes and subcultures. We had we had a magazine, a special edition about steampunk, for example. The, the steampunk scene in Europe is basically inexistent. It's very 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 small, but there is one. So why not feature it and why not talk about it? Even it's, if it's not my personal kind of cup of tea or my, my personal subculture, I think it's great that it's out there. And um, trying to, to make people understand what's so great about subcultures and heritage culture and vintage culture, that it's not about secondhand clothes. It's about cherishing and appreciating stuff that's always been great. I'm not wearing red wing boots because they're 100 years old, but I'm wearing them because the quality is still unbelievably good for example or 
uh, let's say a, a pair of just because I purchased one of the a pair of them recently, a pair of William Lennon boots, like handmade boots from 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 the UK. They've been there for 150 50 years, and they're still doing it the same way they did back then, and they are still unbelievably good. Did you read the article in the Heritage Post about William Lennon Boots? Of course I did. <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> you wrote it? Oh, I, I, did not, I didn't know that. I really didn't know that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. They're, fanta- uh, they're, they're very hard to wear in, actually, to break in. Oh, they're very, beasts, very all right. But, but they're, they're, they're fantastic. I, I, I love them from, from the beginning. You mentioned this, the steampunks, and I think whilst the steampunk sort of look is kind of limited and uh, could evolve further. I think the steampunks have one thing, though, that I really appreciate, and that is a sense of fun. Yeah. There's a sense of adventure there that really appeals to me and which kind of gets a bit lost in some of the others. Uh, That's true. The denim bros could lighten up a bit. Yes, that's definitely true. Particularly when you're when you're living in a big city like Munich or Berlin, and people dress up like they're working on an oil field or <laughs> picking cotton somewhere in Alabama or whatever. That, that, that's kind of a bit crazy. That's why I said with with tongue in cheek. That's why I said cross dresses. Some, sometimes it's 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 becoming a, a bit a bit too extreme when you see people walking around like a, a super rich and super posh city like Munich. And you see them run around like, like I don't know, like I said, like train workers from 1890 or so. It, it, it's kind of weird. It wouldn't be as weird if they made it out of fun. But some of them, like just like you said, they're very serious about it. And that's something that's a bit annoying. Yes. <laughs> I, I was get, actually getting I was getting uh, uh, emails and, and uh, uh, letters sometimes when when. Uh, when I appeared uh, some years ago as a rugged guy and people were telling me, oh, he's wearing, let's say, for example, he's wearing a Fred Polo shirt, but he's, he, was, he was not buttoning, buttoning it up until the collar. How can you do that? It's forbidden to, to unbutton the Fred Perry Polo shirt. And I said, I don't give a damn. I just wear it the way I want to because I feel great in it. And I've been wearing it since, since I was 13. So <laughs> lighten up, please. <laughs> So, so how did this uh, sense of failure work for you? I mean, have you rethought it and con- reconsidered your buttoning <laughs> procedure? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I, I think it's. I, I'm trying to laugh about it because I, I understand where the people who wrote those letters are coming from, and I was like that too. I was very militant about style uh, too when I was young. When I was as when I was a young aspiring mod in the scene, so I, it. it Every single inch of your shirt or your suit mattered. But like I said, it's sometimes, at one point, it's becoming annoying and stressful and useless, actually, because it's, uh, it's, it's like a uniform, and I was never much into uniforms. So um, I, like, uh, to answer your question, yes, I recovered from it. <laughs> I still wear my Fred, Polish, Fred, Fred Perry shirt the way I want to. <laughs> And those uh, critics are now trolling on uh, Instagram, probably. commenting on other people. Yes, probably. Yeah. Well, they must have a, a sad and boring life. <laughs> yes, I think or so. Maybe they have a, an ultimate purpose. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to find out. <laughs> it does strike me that there's a there is a certain amount of playfulness in the styles portrayed in the Heritage Post, which maybe I mean we just talked about the denim bros and looking like American oil workers. Yeah. 
Uh, I do see more tweed. Yes, that's true. That's it's it's. it's um, I was going to say it's coming back, but it hasn't has never really left. But I think there was a certain point. I would say it was about three years ago when we discussed it internally at the Heritage Post. There is a kind of revival of of like real good handmade clothing that's not workwear or denim, but that's more like um, that's that, that takes its references from from old suits, from old. Um, overcoats from like real, like the way that, in a good sense, the way our granddads used to dress. My granddad used to wear a dress every day, and there was a Sunday dress, and he would never leave the house without a hat on it. This is where your cross dressing comes from, is it? <laughs> I'm not a cross dresser myself. <laughs> uh, no, I think when you say dress, you really mean suit, but. Uh... Yes, suit, suit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're right. Not dress. Well, you're, you're from a long line of <laughs> no. cross dressers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You see, it's not my first language, English. So, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. A suit, a three piece suit. Yeah, of course. So that kind of came back, and with that, of course, came uh, tweet and 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 great fabrics and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and I can see it for myself. I've been wearing denim for for ages. I would never leave the house for the past twenty years without a pair of jeans on, and that has changed. It has changed enormously. I'm 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 very much into into chinos now, or khakis, or like like you said, like suits, um, and it's great. To combine them, for example, with a pair of worker boots or whatever. So, um, like I said before, it's great to to show people that there that there is a way of combining things, of mixing styles, and that can be that can be a lot of fun. And that's what what uh, Uwe van Afferden, our publisher, does like every day. Um, he's like he's uh, he's like the perfect role model for for the Heritage Post himself. So he he reinvents himself. As a character and as a style, like almost every day or every week, and I and I'm, I totally love him for that. I was going to insert another cross-dressing joke, but uh, I'll let it <laughs> please, go. Please don't. <laughs> By the way, have, have I made any other mistakes? No, no, you're, so you're fine. Um, and the Heritage Post has also opened a shop, I believe. Uh, it hasn't opened a shop. There's always been the shop of of Uwe van Afferden, who um, who's always been working in interior design and clothes and uh, and graphics and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the the shop's been there before, and it has become the headquarter for the Heritage Post as well. So that's that's in Düsseldorf. Yep. And it sells the type of goods that the magazine likes to write about. I assume then. Some of them, yes. Uh, Uwe has his own uh, label as well, uh, and we are selling the shop. They are selling some of the styles that that the, the Heritage Post portrays, but obviously not all of them because there's just just too many. Some selected styles. It doesn't sell. Um, let's say the, the like we mentioned before the, the the typical heritage style. So you wouldn't you wouldn't get. Red wing boots there, but you would get a pair of of William Lennon boots there, or you would get um, a 1920s suit, not dress there, or um, I don't know, handmade leather jackets, handmade um, what else, shirts, or hats, or caps, or even watches and uh, and pens. So uh, it's it's like it's kind of like a, a best of selection. What what's what we or Uwe and Stephanie like. Now, I mentioned a while back about uh, there being sort of 
German brands that we don't really see outside of Germany. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular ones you could mention? There's just so many. Um, what can I think of? As your podcast is called Garmology, of course, I would have to mention um, Blaumann, which is a, a label that's been creating denim, great, great handmade denim jeans. Another label is, of course, Pike Brothers. That's become quite quite well-known. Pike Brothers I have seen. I've had some Pike Brothers. Yes. Um, what else could I think of? I should have prepared myself be- better for this <laughs> conversation as far as <laughs> German labels are concerned. But, well, there's, 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 um, there's Patrick Muff, who's a creator, who is creating jewelry, silver rings in, in, in Germany, for, uh, in, in, uh, in Munich, here in Munich, for example. Then there's, for example, the, the statement store here in Munich as well, who are uh, importing great, they're, they're, they're probably the best uh, importing shop for, for Japanese denim, for Japanese craft, for even for military clothes, um, for utility clothes. Um, so there's not like the one German brand. That it, it, there's a huge variety of small German brands. One, there's one creating, there's, there's one producing beard oil, for example, from, from the south of Bavaria. There's another called, um, what's their name? They're, 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 they're specialized in Hamburg for 1920s workwear clothes. Um, great, great craft shop. So um, it's, it's, it's a small scene, but it's worth discovering. Uh, and there's, there's a huge variety of, of labels and brands. It's very interesting because, uh, I mean, I've had 1920s workwear. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Blue French laborer jackets, work jackets. That's kind of uh, been done. So, yeah. I mean, part of the interest here is we might say that we buy something once and uh, we think we'll keep it forever, uh, always love it and so forth. Yeah. But, I mean, part of being a gumologist or being interested in clothes is finding new stuff. That's true, yes. So I think without sounding too much like, like, like without making too much promotion, uh, I think the Heritage Post is the place to go to if you want to discover this kind of new... I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with a name now. The, the, the brand from Hamburg is called uh, Workwear, Workwear Department 1920. That's, that's their name. And it's actually one guy handcrafting uh, vests and suits and shirts and pants. And um, it's, um, it, it was very hard for us to find those small handcrafts, um, handcrafted companies. Now they're coming to us, and now they're presenting themselves to us, which, which is great because it's sometimes so hard to find them. Um, you discover them through through other labels. You see, okay, there's the, speaking of Hamburg, there's this shop and right across the street is the new Iron Heart shop and right across that street is the new Red Wing shop and right across the other street is, I don't know, um, the Merz, Merz by Schwanen uh, underwear, handcrafted shop, whatever. So it's, uh, it's, it's very hard still, even for us, to, 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 to find all those great brands and labels. But that's, at the same time, something that, that makes it so exciting. It, it never gets boring. There's always something new to discover because the, the scene is so vibrant and so, so alive and so, um, so diverse, yeah. And for readers, it's also such a 
lot more pleasant experience to sit down on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee and your magazine. You read about stuff, and then you start Googling it. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. So, so the rugged guys, where where do you find them? Uh, street corners, dive bars, <laughs> or do they also come say, please, please write about me? It's uh, well, basically all of that. Um, some of them, they're they're they're, they're actually well, they're, they're sending uh, they're sending like applications, like please, well, do well, do portray about me or. I'm this and that guy, or please, whenever you're in my town, please come along and let's make a photo session. Basically, there's no rule how it works, but it has, in one way or another, become like for some people like a trophy to be to be in the magazine and to be one of the rugged guys, which is which is a bit strange because the Heritage Post has never been a closed society. It's not like like a secret cult that you have to. Like, like I said before, tick certain boxes or do some stuff to get into and to, to, to uh, be lifted up to the Holy Grail and to get your photo session for the rugged guy. It doesn't work like that. So it's basically, it started with, with, with friends that we have or friends that Uwe and Stefanie have from, from Düsseldorf, where it all started, or from other German or European cities. It's just people from the scene some people who have their own labels or brands or products. And it's, it's kind of, um, it's a friend thing. It's, it's not like uh, you, have, you don't have to get through an assessment center or through some processes to, 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 be, to be worthy or whatever. It's, it's really relaxed and, and easy. And uh, one day or another, we, we're going to find you and you will be in the Heritage Post if you want to be. <laughs> Yeah, I keep suggesting myself and applying, but no, no, not for me. Let me write that down. <laughs> I, I do wonder, though, when the guys are in the magazine, do they realize that they will be judged by their peers? Because you also, in addition to the photos, you sort of list up items of clothing yeah. so you, that you can, you too can buy the his style. Yeah. yeah. Well, people are aware that they're going to be judged. That's <laughs> That's why... Me myself, I decided a couple of years ago to to not exist in the digital world. So I don't exist on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter or I don't even have WhatsApp or that kind of stuff. So if people judge me personally, I, I won't realize, I won't notice it because, because I'm not in the digital world. I'm, I'm a completely analog person. I do have an email address and a mobile phone and that's it. So if people, uh, if there if have ever been shitstorms about me, I don't care because I'm just, in, I'm just not aware of it. And that's something that keeps you healthy. It's something that I can hugely recommend to anybody. Um, but coming back to the rugged guys, basically it has to do, like I said in the beginning, the Heritage Post is still, it's made with a lot of love and with a lot of affection and with a lot of work, handmade work by ourselves. So if we are making, um, let's say, like, like with the current issue, with issue number 40, it's a special about, uh, about British style. So um, Stefanie and Uwe and uh, our photographer go to London and visit certain shops and uh, visit certain areas of, for example, London or Brighton or whatever. And we're doing photo sessions with, let's say, five rugged guys that we know or that we found. 
And so that, that, that's basically the, the investment and the money that we have to, to, for, for one issue. And so the next issue will be, I don't know, a selection of rocket guys from my hometown, from Munich, or if it's a French edition, there will be guys from Paris. But if you're like, you're, I think you're, you're in, in, in Oslo, I, I guess. So it, it's quite hard for us to, to go there just, uh, just to make a portrait. We would have to go there to find four. So if you come along, oh, that's a good idea. If you come along with four other <laughs> rocket guys from Oslo <laughs> and some brands, then we might come to Oslo and do that. <laughs> it strikes me that you going to London like that, it sounded just like when the Japanese went to the US for taking Ivy, the book <laughs> to document the American style of the yeah, time. I know. I know. So, uh, it's, it's, not too, it's not too far from Dusseldorf. It's just a one and a half hour flight. <laughs> it's also quite ironic that you're doing an issue on british style and it's not available in english i know like i said oh. like i said before it's it's available now um as an e-paper as a digital edition that's coming for free i think i, I did i mention the, the 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 link before you did i'll okay. put it in the, in the notes great um so that the british style issue will be yes available it's um it's this one here, the one I'm holding up now. It's very hard, okay, to see for you people on, on the podcast. Um, it's the issue that's just been released in in in, in Germany, all over the world. Um, that's been released a week ago, in yeah. uh, as a, as a physical copy. That is an interesting photo on the front. Yes, I know. Painting. It, it looks like kind of a rugged Prince Charles. Exactly. That's so. There you have your humor. <laughs> <laughs> Not something that we Germans are famous for, uh, but, but you said it, not me. <laughs> it is kind of like like a tongue in tongue in cheek uh, cover, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but at this point in the pod, you're probably wondering where are the ads? I miss the ads, and you're right, there are no ads. I hate ads. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, though, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, enter Gomology, and it's easy. And uh, Let's continue on. So, apart from clothes, what other topics does the Heritage Post like to write about? I have a yeah. feeling that you also do architecture. Yes, we do. Um, it comes from... Uh, we do and Caveco Pens. Caveco Pens, <laughs> yeah, from Dusseldorf, yeah, the, the, the home base of, uh, of the Heritage Post. Well, like I said, I started writing for, or let's say I established... The, the music section. We also have uh, the automobile section with our regular writers there who write about cars that have always been great and still are great and will be great, like your regular, I don't know, like your, your Jeep or your, your Defender or whatever. Then there's a section about, about cooking and stuff, about uh, great recipes, about great, let's say, um, uh, about great ingredients, about natural ingredients, how they're grown, how they're being manufactured, how you can use them for what great dish or whatever. Uh, then there's a second, the hugest part is, of course, about, about clothes. I want to avoid the word fashion because it's not about fashion, it's about clothes and quality. And then there's another section that we, um, let's say, invented or elaborated over the years that's about great men, great characters. Um, there's in the current issue, there's a great article about Winston Churchill, for example, the British archetype or prototype. Uh, I've written some articles over the years about, I don't know, Duke Kahanamoku, who invented surfing back in Hawaii. Um, 
or who else could I think of about let's say great great people, great artists like Nick Cave. Um, who else was in there? There was so many Jean-Paul Sartre from France. So we're writing about people that you wouldn't necessarily expect in a paper like this because it's not Jean-Paul Sartre, Nick Cave, Duca Moko, and Winston Churchill. They're not rugged guys, but they're great individuals, and that can that can give you a great amount of inspiration for your own. I think reading about the 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 life of let's say Winston Churchill can be so inspiring, inspiring in so many ways that it can influence your style or your sense for music or your sense for, for painting and writing because, as I didn't know before, I didn't write the article about Winston Churchill, Churchill was a great painter and he, and, and he gained the Nobel Prize for literature some, some years back in the 1950s. So um, we're just trying to make the most surprising and interesting and appealing offer to our readers always something that you might expect and something that you might not expect and that kind of mixture works quite well i think kind of like you're creating subcultures and also exploding them because if you're in a subculture you tend to have a very very narrow mindset yes but if you're reading about stuff that expands your mind yes. you will be able to bore people about a wider range of things <laughs> <laughs> well then there's always a danger of, of, of boring people but then there's also the joy of surprising people and to what well, to, to to lift some or to say to, to to change their views about certain things like i said before i was always been involved i've always been involved with when I was young with British subculture, with the mods. And when you're talking about the mods, you have to talk about the skinheads as well. And uh, I think four or five years ago, I wrote a huge article about the roots of skinhead culture. And everybody who's not involved with British subculture would say in the first place, oh, skinheads, go away. They're, they're all fascists. They're all Nazis. They're all hooligans or whatever. They're bullies. Oh, the worst kind, they're racists. But the original roots of skinhead culture back in 1969, they come from a very, very multicultural background. This culture was, was, was born in Jamaica with the Root Boys in the early 1960s. And it came with the, with the Jamaican immigrants. It came to the UK. And the young British working class kids identified with the young Jamaican working class kids who were immigrants. And they shared their music. They were listening to Calypso, to Mentor, that, that then uh, uh, melted into ska and Rocksteady and then became skinhead reggae just because they had their hair cut short, uh, because they liked the sky, style, because it was provocative and it showed their working-class pride. And then it became influenced by idiots like the National Front and the, the, the British movement and all those fascist idiots. But the, the origins of that culture were just plainly beautiful. And uh, that article that I wrote a couple of years ago that, that opened many readers' eyes and they said, okay, uh, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling us. We now hate the Nazis even more, just like I do, because they <laughs> stole they stole this great culture from the original Jamaican root boys and skinheads. So, um, without trying to sound too educational, but that's something that 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 matters to me and that matters to to um, Stephanie and Uwe uh, to 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 
tell people about something that you that you wouldn't expect or just didn't know. Just like I said before about Churchill, I didn't know that the guy won the Nobel Prize for literature. I mean, how great is that? Uh, you just know him as the, the, the great or the ambiguous, ambiguous politician of the 1940s who fought, who, who battled Hitler. Um, so that's kind of an extra or a bonus that that we're giving our readers. Uh, besides uh, talking about great labels or brands or products, yeah. Interesting. I've always wondered whether whether skinheads went wrong because you sort of hear the two stories of them, and they're totally not compatible. There's, there's a great documentary by uh, a Jamaican DJ and a very uh, famous British subculture icon called Don Letts, who is a Jamaican who was was an original skinhead from the late uh, from the early seventies, and he made a documentary for the BBC that you can see on on uh, YouTube. That's just I think it's just called The Roots of Skinhead, and it's 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 a brilliant documentary uh, that, that that puts things in their right place, and he he also. Um, he also tells you when when the movement went went wrong. It all fell apart sometimes. I think in the, in the mid seventies, when uh, fascist parties like the National Front or the British Movement try uh, like kind of invaded or infiltrated the movement because there was always there was always violence in sub in in, in skinhead culture, and they 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 they, they started hiring young skinheads as. Um, as bouncers for for their clubs or for their discotheques, and that's kind of when they when 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 the music became um, uh, got out of fashion. When some other kind of music, when glam rock or punk became bigger, and the the skinhead reggae and the ska disappeared, uh, that was the moment when the National Front and the British Movement stepped in and literally hired those young guys uh, and infiltrated them with their with their with their fascist bullshit. That's that's how it happened, and out of that came the two tone movement in 1979, when bands like Madness and the Specials and the Selector and Bad Manners fought that movement and said, "No, we have to put our subculture back on their feet. Let's not let's not have the fascists take it away from us." And that's when the the, the Scar revival with two tone happened. Still one of the best music I, I could think of. Um, so it was always like it it always changed from one side to the other. And it was the same history here in Germany. People would always uh, connect uh, the word skinhead with Nazi or fascist um, because we never had the, the, the Jamaican immigration wave like Britain had in the, in the 1960s. So it's, it's very hard to try to convince people that, that skinhead culture, for example, was in the beginning something completely fantastic and beautiful and multicultural in the best sense, and that it just got changed and uh, corrupted and violated by the Nazis and the fascists, who I, who I hate from the bottom of my heart, of course. Good. Yes. Now, while you were making or publishing the British uh, English language edition of the magazine, you must have been sending it sort of all around the world. How was it received? Do you get much feedback? Quite well, actually. Quite well, yeah. Um, let me think of some feedback. There was um, just one story four years ago. We had, it was like kind of a secret or hidden, a hidden joke for people to find out. We had a rugged guy on the cover. I think it was the edition number 20 in uh, 
2016 or 17. And um, I'm not going to tell you who it was. I'm going to tell you later. And people, <laughs> people from Japan or from France or from Los Angeles, they were writing to us, no way, there's no way that you found this guy and put it on the front of the heritage books. How did you do this? This guy is a legend. It's the Beethoven of the 20th century. So to, to, to reveal the secret, is it was Florian Schneider from Kraftwerk. Oh. <laughs> he was on the cover because he was a friend uh, of, of Uwe van Averden, our publisher. And the people in Germany... They, they they just didn't they just didn't realize they 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 just saw and let's say elderly men dressed in a weird hunting costume and they said who's that guy he looks like like a guy from World War II who is he and people from all over the world who appreciated Kraftwerk because Kraftwerk were always bigger outside of Germany than in Germany which is completely unbelievable because I've I've loved Kraftwerk from day one um, so. People outside of Germany realized what we had and what, who we put there on the cover and in the Rocket Guy section of our magazine, and that was probably the, the greatest feedback that that we ever had from from like I said from Japan or Los Angeles or for, or elsewhere. But uh, there's been a, there's been a very strong demand for the, the the English edition to return. So like I said before, we we're going to do that. And we are very happy about this strong support from well from all over the world. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, Florian was such a recognisable person, a very distinctive face. Yeah. Uh, is there a Kraftwerk subculture in Germany? No, and if so, if so, which period, which look <laughs> is the right one? <laughs> there isn't. There isn't, and. I could go very deeply into analyzing that, why this is the case. Um, all the artists, you know, Germany, because of Second, Wo Second World War, Germany has always had, quite understandably so, um, not found its own identity back, or we have a problem with a German identity. Having said that, people like Kraftwerk or Rammstein, um, who played with German identities and German stereotypes became hugely appealing to people from America or Japan or UK or France because of that, because they, they, they understood immediately that these are Germans playing with their German identity and with the ambiguity of German style or behavior or engineering, like in the case of Kraftwerk. And people in Germany obviously didn't understand the, the ambiguity and the irony and the fun in that. I found Kraftwerk, besides their, the fact that they're being probably the greatest musicians of the 20th century, uh, great inventors of music, there was always these, this, this component of fun about it. And when you're going to a Rammstein concert, I was, I've never been a fan, but I was invited to a concert some like a decade ago. I thought it was incredibly funny because they were they were playing with these cliches and with these stereotypes and archetypes, and that's something that always that I always liked, like kicking things off off their throne or kicking things off the altar, and that's what they they've been doing. Besides being great musicians, obviously. Uh, so, to answer your question, I, I travel a lot and I spend a lot of time in France. Because I, um, in, in my in my real life, besides writing for the Heritage Post, 
I'm I'm a film producer and I'm I'm producing uh, a series of films that's been uh, filmed in France in 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 Brittany in the west of France, and I think over there the craftwork scene is, is ten times bigger than the craftwork scene in Germany. So there are f- friends of mine from France who is showing me their collection of seven inches and twelve inches f- original copies from the late 1970s of craftwork that I could never get in Germany because they just weren't released or people didn't care about it, um, which is which tells you a lot about the German identity or the German, um, well, uh, self-worshipping that's basically non-existent. So it's, uh, it's very funny. <laughs> I think that's pretty common, though, that uh, the good stuff doesn't happen here. You have to go abroad to find yeah. the real stuff. Yeah. So uh, I know there's there's no Norwegian bands or films or TV series that's worth anything at all. It's all just trash, really. Yeah. You have to go to England or the US or, yeah. Yes. I was the same Not- when I was young, yeah, basically. I never listened to German music. Besides craft work, I never listened to anybody coming from Germany. I would always listen to, to British bands or American bands or, yeah. We all dreamt of getting away to a better place where everyone was cool and fun yeah. things happened. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, yeah. Subcultures in Germany now. Mm-hmm. What sort of subcultures are the younger people into? That's a very good question. Um, be- I've, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because I have two daughters, uh, 13 and 10 years old, of course still, still too young to get into subculture, but my Older daughter is starting to through through shows like like Stranger Things on Netflix, for example. She kind of discovered the Clash or the Smiths or um, the House Martins or other great bands or Nick Cave or whatever. And she she just realizes and she keeps asking me about it. Um, she, she realizes she realizes that there's something about those bands that she doesn't find in the bands of today. She's she's listening to a lot of bands and musicians from today. She likes them. I think they're crap, obviously, but whatever. Um, she she kind of realizes that there's that there's a myth around bands like The Clash or The Ramones or The Smiths, and she tries to understand why they still matter to so many people today. She, for example, she's she's a big fan of Twenty One Pilots or Imagine Dragons or one of those new rock wave bands, and. Um, she listens to interviews and they keep telling them, oh, we all got our inspiration from the Ramones or from Kraftwerk or from The Clash or The Smiths or whatever. So these bands obviously still matter. And I think that my daughter realizes that there's something about them that's missing today. Because, and I know, like I said, I'm, I'm 47 years old, so I'm quite far away from young cultures now. And I probably have no right to talk about subculture among young kids now. But I think that the, the main reason why I or we went into subculture was we wanted to be different at any price. And I think most of the kids today don't want to be different. They want to belong. They want to have the same as everybody else. And that's something that, I, um, that I'm quite sad about because it brings you back to the original idea of the Heritage Post of being individ- an individual, of, of trying to find your own style. And what's happening today is through social networks and through Instagram and the internet, it's that media and fashion tells you to, 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 
that you have to get the same style or the same dress or the same shoes or the same shirt or the same suit as everybody else. And it, it doesn't motivate you to find your own style or to be different or to, to, to risk being different. I know that's very, uh, that's probably the opinion of an old man um, or that, 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 that was the same that my father used to say to me when I was young. But um, I think looking back the past decades, I think youth, young kids, youth subculture always wanted to be different. And I don't see those subcultures on the street anymore. Uh, I just see a blend of very strange styles that I just don't understand. I don't understand their codes or their their their, their symbols. Um, but it's maybe because I'm just well too old to understand. So th there has to be a subculture out there, but it, I just don't see it. Well, first I'd like to point out that old man opinions are truly the only opinions that matter. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly. Yes, you are entirely correct that as older men, we just are totally clueless as to what the young people yes. are up to. Yes. Um, I think a lot of it comes from TikTok, from yeah. Japanese uh, cartoons and manga, anime stuff. Um, and I also get an impression that a lot of subcultures today, well, they're not new, but they're buying the sort of prepackaged synthetic version you can buy from alibaba or wish yep. where you get the whole look sort of slightly wrong but right it's sort of uh, and it's like your daughter been discovering all all the bands you liked when you were young yeah but not quite getting the context of them and how important Ex they really exactly. were exactly they don't get the context so if there's if there's a friend from my daughter coming to our house and she's wearing let's say a nirvana t-shirt or a guns and roses t-shirt or an acdc t-shirt that she bought from primark mark or h&m i used to say to her oh that oh great you're you're into nirvana I, i was never a big grunge fan but hey it's great that you're listening to that stuff and she says uh who what I said, the, the name of the band on your shirt is Nirvana, you know. She said, oh, that's a band. Oh, I, I didn't know. I just bought it because it looked great. Yeah. So she understands the style, the, the, the imagery, the, the graphics, but she doesn't even understand that, <laughs> that this has been an existing band. <laughs> so that's it's kind of like, oh, my God, <laughs> where, where are they going? I think what I miss the most is the importance of music. When we were teenagers, music was so important and you had the bands you loved and you had the bands you hated. Nowadays, I'll hear a song from the 80s that I know I used to hate and I'll think, yeah, it's not that bad. I used to hate this. Did it really matter that much? <laughs> But nowadays, do, do subcultures really sort of have that importance? No, they don't. They don't. And it's, um, it's because, well, it's the... the The, the upside and the downside of streaming services. For me personally, it's great to to use something like Spotify, for example, because I can I can access with with one finger, I can access and get the 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 the, the original 1963 instrumental ska version from Prince Buster that I was never able to get from any secondhand record store in London or Manchester. I can get that with a click of two fingers now. Which, too easy which is yeah exactly exactly it's it's great to have it and at the same time it makes it worthless because when i was young um like i said coming from the rust belt of deep west germany 
I had to travel at least to Dusseldorf or to Hamburg, but most of the time I had to go to London once a year to get a stack of records that I couldn't get in Germany. It was, for me, as silly as it sounds, for me it was impossible to get a Smiths or Morrissey record, for example, in Germany in the late 1980s. It was just impossible. And being able to get it in London or Manchester when you were there was like, it was like, it was like a trophy. It had it, it had a worth that that's until today un, still indescribable to me. Even today, when I touch those records or old Northern Soul records, I still get shivers. I still get goosebumps when I touch those records. And it's never this. It will never be the same. Just when you're two clicks away from from it on Spotify. Um, so I would say, on one hand, my kids they are extremely privileged to have access to any song that's out there in the world, any minute, and at the same time, it makes it, makes it worthless. So I'm, various, I'm very amb ambiguous about it. I, I don't want to judge that, but I think you put it very rightly so when you said that it kind of loses the, uh, the impact or the importance or the, um, yeah, the, the fever that you have when you touch it or when you, when you put the needle on it or, yeah. You have to feel alienated and different when you're listening to the Smiths. Otherwise, yes. it's not the soundtrack for your generation. Yes, yes, yes. But but I think there 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 is hope. So my my, my daughter starts uh, because I took took her with me, the older one, to to record store day this year, and she kind of became fascinated that, with the idea that there's one song on a black plastic disc that you can. And you put a needle on it, and you hear the sound, and the sound is a lot greater than when you when you hear it on Spotify on your on your shitty headphones or whatever. So she's starting to buy vinyl now, which is great. So there's something uh, obviously there, there's 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 a note that's ringing inside her that I'm, maybe I put there, or maybe she just discovered in herself, and that's something that gives me a tremendous tremendous joy, of course. Yeah, because vinyl is one of the parts of. Well, one of with coffee and uh, beards, part of the sort of hipster subculture, which I guess was a sort of fairly short-lived, yeah. distilled version of all the sort of rugged guy type things. Yeah, I was well. I probably don't need to answer that, but but I've never been into this. It, it's a in, in Germany, it's a Berlin phenomena, the hipsters, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to go too much into that, but the, the hipster is something that I, I, I always understood. I always understood the irony about being a hipster, wearing a mustache, and and the, all those kind of silly uh, uh, symbols and and codes that they're wearing. But I was never too much into that. I think irony irony has been over for 20 years now. So, um, but they are very serious, and they do wear red wings. <laughs> <laughs> do they? Okay, <laughs> I'm too. I think they do. Too far they away from to. that scene. Yeah, you're probably right, but I'm too far away from that. I have no hipsters in my. Uh, <laughs> but they do. Sort of, they do overlap though with the love of uh, well, all the different methods of making coffee. That must surely be a sort of heritage post thing. The love of fine things, search for the ultimate quality. Well, yeah, obviously, but <laughs> there's always a thin line between worshipping or cherishing things or going to the extreme and some of that uh, I have to go to Berlin a couple of times per year for for my job and um, 
when I see all those hand-brewed filter coffee, no foam, decaf, elderberry flavored, low fat kind of shops where you get like your, 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 your coffee and you pay six euros for it, which is unbelievable. That kind of makes me laugh. I, I can't take that. I can't take that seriously. Honestly, I think that's, uh, that's this, that's, that's e extremism or how would you call it or fundamentalism. I think it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with heritage culture. But but no. like, there's a there's a very thin line. I I, I give you that. <laughs> Plus, they wear skinny jeans. <laughs> yes, they do. I mean, what grown up man does wear skinny jeans? Honestly, <laughs> no. no. I think uh, we've answered the question there. <laughs> so uh, now, apart from coming back to the English issue of the Heritage Post, what else do you have lined up for the future? Well, there are future plans uh, by Uwe van Afferden and Stefanie Kobayashi for uh, a Heritage Post trade show that's uh, supposed to happen next year in May in Düsseldorf. Um, so there was um, there was a trade show called the New Heritage uh, Trade Show that, that happened um, three or four times uh, some years ago here in Germany and that got cancelled because of Corona and all that stuff. So the Heritage Post is trying to bring back or to, to, to establish their own trade show with some of uh, the great labels and brands and designers who, uh, who manufacture all these great products that we are presenting in our magazine. So there's been obviously a strong demand for people to actually see and feel and touch the products that are sometimes very hard to get when you're, when you're, in, uh, when you're outside of Germany or when you're not living in a big city. So we're trying to establish this kind of trade show on on a weekend in May, and there will be more there will be not more news soon soon about this. So we're, we're very excited about this. Um, and besides, there are some there are some book projects on the horizon. So for the tenth anniversary of the, the Heritage Post, which is actually this December, we are we are releasing a book called Die Kerle uh, on German, which just means the guys which is the rugged guys from the past 10 years of, uh, of the Heritage Post. Some of them from, from very, very early copies, very early editions of the Heritage Post that, are, uh, so that have been sold out and hard to get for, for years now. Some of them uh, being offered on, on, on eBay for 500 euros per, per, per copy, which is, which is insane, of course. So we are re-releasing or uh, putting all the rugged guys, I mean, I think it's been about two, 200 over the past years, we are, we've, we've put them in one great book. It's really a 500-page big coffee table book. And we're releasing, we're releasing it actually this week. And there'll be, there'll be more book projects on the horizon quite soon next year. Uh, besides, of course, the, 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 the quarterly edition of the Heritage Post. Yeah. Now, I did notice, I saw the ad for the book, um, uh, the, Heritage, uh, the Rugged Guy book. Yeah. And I did notice it said... Best of. Do you think there's a lot of guys sitting around now? They knew they were in the magazine. They made the cut to get in the magazine. They're an official rugged guy, mm -hmm. but the book coming out is the best of. Are these guys getting a bit worried? Did they make the cut for the book or not? Uh, how do you mean? Did they, did they agree well, to be in the it, book? Or it, no? If I was say, if I was a rugged guy in issue number five, okay. I'd be a bit nervous now. Am I in the best of book? Or was I, did I fail? 
Okay, okay, I understand. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, I think it's not like a best of. It's like basically an not a best of, but an all of. So, <laughs> okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> every rocket guy who, who's who's ever been there will be in the book. I don't know if because it's in, in the book. We every rocket guy has about six pages, so that we we've 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 slimmed it down to I think three pages or two pages per person, uh, but. Every single one of them will be will be in there. So yeah. Okay. So the best of each of them, not yes, yes, <laughs> so that yes. there's not going to be Precisely, some yes. guy sitting in all alone in Hamburg, no, 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 no. crying his heart what out. Did I do? No, 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 no. <laughs> Everyone else was in the book, but me. <laughs> not so rugged now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we've sort of covered. Uh, Okay. Quite a few things now. Yes, is there anything have. you can think of that you'd like to talk about? Um, Your session is, is still running. No, but it, it's it's been a complete privilege to 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 to, to be on your show, and I've, I've listened to some of your your uh, your sessions before, and I, I I totally love this kind of dedication dedication that you have for for the things that we're dealing with in the Heritage Post, or the things that we just me personally just just love great great like great garments, great clothes, great stuff great music it's um it's it, it's it's the least important thing in the world but at the same time it's the most important thing in the world and that's what makes it so uh, so so colorful and so important and that's why sharing uh the passion about it is so inspiring i couldn't agree more <laughs> it's uh yep i mean clothes really pretty trivial we could uh, wear anything and we'd be just as warm and protected but again what is life without our joys? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I've been I've been reading a lot lately about uh, about David Bowie, just kind of out of curiosity, because I came from I came across some some interesting stories about the David Bowie years in Berlin, and I kept reading about uh, kept reading some books about about the time they spent there. I've never been a huge fan of David Bowie personally, but I've I've, I've always been fascinated with the persona he created like almost every other month he reinvented himself again and again and again and again with so much knowledge and detail about art and clothes and culture and subculture of course that uh, um, i think he 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 could be one of the um the, the role models or the prototypes types of or the archetypes for the whole heritage or vintage scene because he kept kept telling you every single day be an individual reinvent yourself whenever you want to be whoever you want to be and that's the greatest mes message that you can send out to people these days i think um yeah yeah i agree with that and you also touch about upon something there which is one of my sort of things okay and that is how these days all the information is available that we would have really wanted, say, 30, 40 years ago. Yes. Well, I grew up living, the, uh, living in the very, very far north of uh, Norway. Mm -hmm. uh, going to London was pretty much a dream. Uh, but we'd be ordering records, we'd read the music magazines, but there was never enough information. Yes. And years later, when the internet came a few years in, and there were sites like uh, allmusic.com, and you started delving in and finding out all this interesting information, and now big, thick books are out with all the secrets revealed. Yes, yes. It's amazing. And, That's of course, 
completely useless now because <laughs> absolutely I mean, absolutely i mean for me like i said as a young mod or as a young root boy in, in in western germany there was no way of getting like um living images or or uh, uh music videos or anything from the, the bands that you just loved you just had to take you just had to hope that on the next cover of the of, of a specials or clash or smith's record there would be a picture of the band so you would know how to dress like them so there was no internet they, they, they weren't even on the television because on, on the television was i don't know phil collins michael jackson madonna which was of course the, the worst that you could think of um <laughs> so it was very very hard to get to, to get access to those secret codes and informations and now just like you said it's all there but still it needs to be curated um, just because the knowledge is out there on Wikipedia or whatever doesn't mean that it's understood by everybody. So you have to put it into context. And that's what we are trying to do sometimes also with the Heritage Post. Like I said, with the article, for example, about skinheads, uh, everybody can read it, read about it, but you have to curate it and put it into context so that people really understand the deeper meaning or the deeper meaning of, like we said before, like steampunk culture or rockabilly culture or hot rod culture. Where does it come from? Um, and that can only be achieved through knowledge, through people, through our writers who are from that certain scene and can explain it to another generation, to younger generation or to others. And that's, that's something great. And that's something that the internet cannot deliver or offer. Something the internet can deliver is old music videos on YouTube now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was so thrilled last weekend when I noticed that uh, a lot of old uh, videos by the greatest singer of our times, the Associates with Billy McKenzie. Wow. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of their old videos were out on YouTube. I never even knew they existed, wow. and I was completely I, I, captivated. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I have to. I have to check this out. Uh, wow. Lots of old Smiths videos, Depeche Mode, lots of stuff now which I've never even knew existed before. Wow. And it, it seems to sort of keep being released. Well, that's a, that's a treasure yeah. trove, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Okay, Matthias. I'll give you another opportunity. Any final words? <laughs> Any other rabbit hole you'd quickly like to dash down? Uh, uh, no, we've talked about, we've covered so many issues, so many issues. And it's, it's like I said, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been a huge pleasure. And I hope it wasn't too, well, uh, it wasn't any uh, annoying or boring in any way. So I hope. Uh, I it was incredibly annoying and boring. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, that was just. <laughs> no. no, really. Thank you so much. I totally enjoyed this. Okay. Thanks a lot. And uh, thank you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. And that was all for this week's episode of Garmology. Thanks to Matthias from The Heritage Post for being my guest this week. If you head over to theheritagepost.com, you can read the English version of uh, the latest edition now. I'm very pleased to see it back, and I hope it comes in a paper version soon. If you'd like to get in touch, then please do. I'd love to hear from you either suggestions for guests or just to tell me what you think of the show. It's welldressedad at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, it's welldressedad and the blog is at welldressedad.com. You can find all the links in the show notes as well now, including the one to buy me a coffee if you'd like to be really kind. And uh, yeah, that's all for now. See you again next week. Bye bye.